0: Well, you of the fifth family know that we're in the midst of a, a series taking us through the book of James uh, titled Faith That Works. It's an eight-week series in which we're uh, reading through the, the entire letter, and today we're on the fifth message in that series, and as, as we've been saying throughout the series, the title, Faith That Works, has something of a double meaning. It's faith in Jesus is faith that works for the person who believes. It changes our lives uh, and, and, and while at the front end, it might not be entirely clear, when you do this for a while, it's very clear that this is a better way to live. It doesn't make life perfect and easy, none, none of that, but, but this is a better way to live. And real faith in Jesus is faith that works on behalf of others. There's an outworking of the faith in the world that will impact other people, so in that way, it's faith that works. And of course, James is... Uh, uh, the, the preeminent moral theologian. It's, a, it's an incredibly practical book. It talks about the outworking of our faith in the world, answering this question really. If you really believe that we live in a world where a resurrection has happened, what will your life look like? And, and this week we're at chapter three, which focuses that question even more. It asks If you really believe Jesus was raised from the dead, what does that mean for the way you speak to others? for the way that you choose to use words. And James doesn't hold back. I mean, he really wants us to get this idea that our words have great power and that we need to use them wisely. About this passage, one commentator wrote this, few sections of scripture are so graphically relentless in making a point. That phrase graphically relentless has stuck in my mind all week and, and while it's true, Evidently, James had observed this happening in the church, you know, the misuse of words, and he had discerned the depth of their destructive power and wants us not only to be aware, uh, but, but to consider deeply and change the way we speak, the way we use words. And, of course, we believe... Uh, along with Paul, who wrote to Timothy that all scripture is God-breathed, suitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So this isn't just James' thing, this is God's thing, and it sure seems the Lord desires us to understand and use wisely the power we wield when we speak. So let's listen to the scripture.
1: Today's scripture is from the epistle of James, chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in, the way they, in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Thanks, Betty Jo. Graphically relentless in making a point. (laughs) It's right there, isn't it? Words are powerful. It's like the Lord through James is saying, I hope you realize your words carry incredible, incredible power. They can build up, they can tear down to the degree that it's a life and death Of issue, so choose and use your words with wisdom and the utmost care. Here's the outline for today it's a three point sermon. Words create worlds, words reveal hearts, and words require wisdom. Words create worlds, words reveal hearts, and words require wisdom. Words create worlds, they have incredible power. I know you've experienced it, I certainly have. You hear that saying. Sticks and stones might break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Baloney. As another pastor noted, words can go places sticks and stones can never go. Right into your inner dialogue, right into your self-concept, right into your heart, your soul. Words have incredible power. And, and you know it, both on the positive side and the negative side. You've, you've been on the receiving end of words that built you up. You left the conversation standing a little taller, feeling more like the person you were made to be, and you've experienced words that tore you down, felt like they reached into you and pulled life out of you. Words are powerful. They have meaning, they're remembered, they make a difference one way or the other. One author put it this way, words are singularly the most powerful force available to humanity. Words have energy and power with the ability to help, to heal, to hurt, to harm, to humiliate, and to humble. I have my own example of this. I bought my first house when I lived in Des Moines, Iowa. I was serving as a pastor there at a church in Des Moines. I was was single then, so I lived in this house by myself, and it was on a cul-de-sac, so I was befriending the neighbors intentionally. There was a young couple that lived across the street from me, and they welcomed their firstborn, a daughter, to the world. And I still remember the moment, at, standing at the end of their driveway, when they told me their new daughter's name. And in a horrifically unfiltered moment, I said, well, that's kind of medieval. To their daughter's name, I said, well, that's kind of medieval. The instant it was out, I thought, oh, I want to take that back. That's the thing with words. Once they're out there, they're out there. There's, there's no catching them with a the net. There's no chasing them down and, and putting them back in. If they were hurtful words, you can apologize, but you can't take back the harm. That's done. Uh, growing up, I, you know, I grew up in Dayton, Ohio in the shadow of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. It seemed like all my friends worked there and had PhDs and were super smart. And One of my friend's dads worked in the laser lab at Wright-Patterson, and he told us the story one day of how he and a bunch of his fellow PhD scientists fired a pulse laser and lost track of the beam. The beam was a cylinder of energy an inch in diameter and about three feet long, and and in that inch diameter, three-foot-long cylinder was a tremendous amount of energy. And they pressed the button and all together looked at one another and went, where'd it go? He was joking that they're they're still wondering. They never did find it. It either went into the earth and was absorbed, the energy was absorbed, or it's still flying out through space somewhere if it went up, (laughs) traveling across the universe. Words are like that. They move out with invisible power, and they can't be retrieved. You can't catch them. That's what the passage is all about. Though it starts with that little bit about teachers, which might seem a bit out of place until you think about it, and when you consider it, it fits perfectly because teachers are in the word business. Teachers use words to shape and influence others intentionally. Intentionally. And therefore, teachers bear a greater responsibility, says James. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, James isn't down on teachers. He's not trying to clear all the teachers out of the church. He was addressing a situation in the church where people were trying to become teachers for the wrong reasons. Remember that the early church emerged out of of Judaism And in Judaism, rabbis were held in very high esteem. In fact, the whole educational system uh, for boys was geared toward propelling them to be a rabbi. And you either made it or flunked out somewhere along the way. Rabbis uh, were given great uh, prestige in, in that society. The term rabbi literally means, my great one. In early Jewish commentary on the scripture, the question was posed, If an enemy comes and captures both your rabbi and your parents, who should you ransom first? (laughs) Answer, your rabbi. Now, of course, that was written by rabbis, (laughs) so that might be a little suspect. But there was a cultural reality there, and James had to grapple with this in the early church because there were some clamoring to be Christian teachers for the, the, the place in life, the, the position it would give them. So he says not many of you should become teachers. For the reason, he says, that teachers will be judged more strictly. Because words, even, even small words, have tremendous power. And, and James uses those three illustri- illustrations. Words are like a bit in the mouth of a horse. I don't know if you're a horse person. I'm, I'm really not. I had an ongoing joke with a friend of mine in Des Moines who loved horses. I always said I would much rather ride a motorcycle because I, can feel, I feel like I can control a motorcycle. A horse is just this mass of muscle that to me is incredibly intimidating. Uh, but for those who know how to ride with the bit, you control the horse very easily. Words are like the rudder of a large ship. Words are like the tiny spark that starts a forest fire. Remember the power company in California? Something happened, a little spark off a pole and Acres, thousands, tens of thousands of acres gone. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. The tongue, the word sending device in our bodies, what Chuck Swindoll called that two ounce slab of mucous membrane at the bottom of our mouths. Who would have thought that it had such power? But the tongue sends out words, and it's the words that have the power. Remember, Jesus said that we'll be judged according to the words we used. Every every word, look at what he said. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. (laughs) Wow! For by your words you will be acquitted, by your words you will be condemned. Every empty word, every careless word, every word that was launched out there that somehow reduced life We'll be judged by those. And I I think this gets to the point that God takes words very seriously and we should too. So what is it about words that makes them so powerful? Think with me on this for a moment. Go back to the very beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and God said, let there be light. And there was light. God said. God spoke. God spoke words and stuff came into being. Right, Words are the means of creation. God spoke and things came to be. The universe, the world, us, God spoke it all into being. And the Bible says that human beings, you and me, have been created in God's image. That we bear God's image. That that is still visible no matter how broken and wayward we might be. That when we look at another human being, we can still see the image of God. One of the ways we bear God's image is in our ability to speak. What an amazing thing. You ever thought about that? No animals speak. You might think, well, some animals communicate. Yeah, but they don't speak. They don't use words. Only humans do that. And that's one of the ways we're like God. And in giving us the ability to speak, God made us like him in that he shared with us some of his creative power. We are now co-creators with God in that sense that, that he's given us words and that, that with those words, we can create new realities. Really, they're that powerful. Words create worlds. I, I work this idea into almost every wedding uh, that, that I officiated, and men, most of them are right here, and I'm standing back here somewhere, and the couple's there, and I say to the bride something like, the day has arrived. You know, We're all celebrating with you. You look very beautiful today. To the groom, you look very handsome today. To the congregation, uh, you, you don't look too bad. You dress up okay. You know, the, All the planning has come together. The reception's gonna be great. All the details, all the work, wow, it was a lot and it's not about any of that at all, really. What's going on from a Christian understanding of a wedding is the people gathered out there are watching the the couple up here and bearing witness to the words they're going to speak to one another, the vows. Because we believe that those words will create a new world. You know, the moment before them, the couple stands there, an engaged couple, very much in love, no doubt. But after they speak those words, something is different. It's it's changed. They're a married couple. It's a new world. A new reality has been spoken into being. Words create worlds, but not all those worlds are good. And James names this, doesn't he? Verse 6, the tongue is also... A fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Think of it now. Personally, for you personally, think of the words that have taken life from you. You've been on the receiving end of the misuse of words. Think more generally of the misuse of words in in the public setting. And and you have to agree that James is spot on, guided by the Spirit of God in writing this this scripture. The misuse of words really is a world of evil. I I was listening this week to a, a sermon that Tim Keller preached on this same text and he quoted a Christian author who wrote this, There are lies of gossip that make haters out of us. There are lies of advertising that make money out of us. There are lies of politicians that make pawns out of us. Lies always demean, always disempower, always distort people's view of reality so they cannot live wisely. The misuse of language includes lying. But it includes much more than that. It includes gossip. You know, the things we say behind somebody's back we would never say to their face. Flattery, the opposite of gossip. The things we say to somebody's face we'd never say behind their back. Exaggeration. Strategic omission. Innuendo, criticism, spin. You know, all misuses of language. And, says James, the misuse of words is spiritual arson. That when you do that, You are burning stuff down. Our words can burn stuff down. They can set a fire in another person's life. And by the way, says James, you can burn your own life down by the words you use. The whole course of one's life is set on fire, he writes. So, you know, don't do that. And the proverb is true. The tongue has the power of life and death. Absolutely true. Words have tremendous power. Words create worlds. And words reveal hearts. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? Or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. It's pretty simple, you know, if if it walks like a duck, talks like a duck, has webbed feet like a duck and associates with ducks, it might be a duck or in more biblical language, you know a tree by its fruit. It's not hidden. You don't have to guess. It's visible. It's right there. Our words unfailingly reveal what's on the inside. There's no masking it. We try to hide, but our words will give us away in the end. They unfailingly reveal what's on the inside, what's in our hearts. And, and like Isaiah, we are all people of unclean lips because we're all people of unclean hearts. Remember Isaiah's response? He had that vision of the Lord, and, and his response was this. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When Isaiah saw Jesus, the very first thing Isaiah thought of was the stuff he'd said, the way he had misused words, misused the tremendous power given him by God. Woe to me. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips. And the very next thing he thought about was the way his faith community had misused words, the way his church had misused words. And I live among a people of unclean lips. Blessing and cursing, if with our words we both bless God and curse people, it's revealing something, right? Oh, Lord, thank you, we bless you. For your mercy and grace, we love you. Thank you for your goodness, Jesus. And then sometime later that day, what a blankety-blank. He is so stupid. It just feels like, it's like a cheese grater to your ear, isn't it? I mean, you feel it spiritually. And says, James, my brothers and sisters, this should not be and Jesus said it very clearly. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. You know, a salt spring can't produce fresh water. A salt spring produces salt water. A fresh water spring produces fresh water. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. You now, Jesus names two realities here. First, I mean, words reveal our hearts. We, we get that. Second, what's the path toward better words? What's the path as a Christian person toward the healing of the way we use language or, or growing in the way that we use? I mean, how does that work? Is it, is it just us trying harder, like you know, you know, 10 more sticky notes in the bathroom mirror or in the fridge or whatever or in your journal or on the dashboard? Is, the, is that the path toward getting this right? And says, Jesus, no, no, that's not it. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a person good and their words will be good. This is about heart change, not just doing it better or not messing up. People don't make themselves good. Jesus makes them good. Right? Ours is not a faith of trying harder. It's a faith of submitting to Christ and allowing our lives to be hidden with Christ in God. Remember that verse? For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Our life is hidden We want people to see Jesus, not John. My life is hidden with Christ in God. God makes us good. We can trust Jesus with this work because, by God's grace, through faith in Jesus, we are in Christ. You know, if if we if we've crossed that line of faith, look at what Paul writes: "Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential." in the Lord. God makes us good. And it's because of God that we find ourselves in Christ. Even faith is a gift. So if you struggle to control your tongue, the first step, as with most things in life, is to seek the Lord, to lean in to Jesus. Not not simply to try harder, but to submit to Christ and allow Jesus to change us. That, that's, that's gospel wisdom. And that's the shift that James makes in this passage from the power of words and the fact that words reveal hearts to the truth that wise people use words carefully and the fruit of that wise use of language is peace and righteousness, right relationships. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. That's in contrast to those ambitious teachers who wanted to teach just for the place in life it would give them. A gentle and wise use of words is evidence of extraordinary spiritual maturity. It's really true. Godly wisdom produces humility, produces uh, literally meekness and mildness. That's the word there. It's the same word that Jesus used in uh, Matthew 11 when he said, take my yoke upon you for I am And and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. That word gentle, it means meek and mild. Not weak and mild. Meek, humble, trusting. This this is a fruit of the Spirit, not something that we generate in ourselves or, or produce on our own. It's the result of knowing that God is in control, really. It's the result of knowing that in Jesus, you're no longer just a servant of God, but a a child of God, a son, or, or a daughter, and that that kind of relationship with God is actually possible, a, a loving relationship between a heavenly father and, and, and us. It's a result of knowing that you've been, been redeemed. Sounds like a churchy word. All it means is we've been bought back, not partially, but fully, purchased back by God for God in all that God did for us, in and through Jesus on on the cross. It's the result of knowing that you can face any situation that life might throw your way, even the, the unimaginably trying and challenging, incredibly painful things, because you don't trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. It's a foundation of faith, and the proper use of words requires wisdom. Wisdom comes from God, And the fruit of all of this will be peace, a peacemaking presence that fosters righteousness, right relationships among people, and points them toward God in the end. You know, when we were in our darkest hour in desperate need of a word from God, he sent Jesus. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has spoken to us in and through Jesus. The Bible also says this about Jesus. In the beginning was the word, that's Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And, And this too, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. What a wonderful thing. There's a, there's a misunderstanding of the Christian faith floating around out there, that it's a, a, some kind of faith that just wants to get us obeying rules and being prim and proper and, and, and whatever. It's really, I mean, there's a moral side to this whole thing, of course. But the point is that we live in a world where God has actually done something to show us that he actually loves us. And it's not just a religious idea. It's pinned to the timeline of history. It's a historical claim that needs to be examined and explored. And if true, then we hear through it God saying yes to us in Jesus. Yes, I love you. Yes, I want you. Yes, you're welcome home. Yes, I'd love to have you with me. Yes, I want to walk with you always. Yes, this isn't just a religious choice for you. I'm real and I'm here, yes. I feel like so often the Christian faith gets the, the no, <laughs> uh, you know, blame or something. Like our faith is saying no to people. Oh my goodness. God says yes to us in Jesus. And, and really, the, the, only, the only question that remains for us is a simple one. Will we say yes to him? Kind of both the first time and in an ongoing way. You know, the scripture says that, go on being filled with the Spirit. Continue to say yes to God. Continue to seek the Lord. Continue to pursue Jesus. And as we do that, God makes us good. Not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus has done for us. The perfect righteousness of Christ, Christ transferred to us, makes us good. And out of that goodness flow better words. And we grow to be like Jesus in our use of language. Words create worlds. Words reveal hearts, and words require wisdom. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Pray with me. God, thank you that you have spoken to us by your son, Jesus. Thank you that he was a good word. And thank you that your good word to us has created a new world a new covenant where you keep your end of uh, the relational covenant between us, God, and in Jesus, you sneak around to our side and keep our end for us. That we might rest in your love and grace completely secure knowing it's not up to us. It doesn't depend on how well we kind of do stuff or manage to avoid doing wrong stuff, though we want to do all of that. We are secure in in your love because of who you are and what you've done. And we thank you for that, God. Help us, oh Lord, to use this incredible power you've given to us, the, the ability to speak. Help us to use it like you did. To invite home. To recall those who are beloved. To Extend grace and mercy to welcome, to bless, to laugh, to connect with children. Your goodness is visible in so many ways, God. Make us like you by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.